Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. We're back with another Sunday edition. We're on, I think, week three, almost forming a habit here. We said that we would stick to that throughout this postseason. We're doing all right so far, doing all right, but we got to keep it going. We've got a few things to talk about this week. I, I was laughing a little bit about this early on our episode last week that the Ducks are doing at least one thing a week to give us something to talk about, one news item. And I'm sure that they listened to that specific episode the Ducks did and decided, nope, we're going to hold off on some extension and for another week just to prove that wrong. Of course, I'm kidding yeah, you, there, but... <laughs> you had to jinx it. You had to jinx it. I jinxed it. It's my fault. I'll, I'll take the blame there, uh, as a good sportsman does. So we actually got really lucky because a great listener of the show, uh, Perry Ebeltoft, provided us with a really good question that has actually kind of been on my mind lately uh, regarding Josh Manson. So we'll get into all of that. We're going to go through our usual categories from the week of playoff hockey. There's going to be a lot of Ducks talk in this, which is kind of interesting because even though the Ducks are out, obviously, of the postseason, a lot of former Ducks are are actually having a pretty uh, – some a lot of former Ducks are having strong performances yeah. in this postseason. So we're going to get into all of that. Jake, are you – are you well rested after the, the the last seven days that we haven't recorded? Are you feeling feeling fresh? I'm I'm feeling real fresh. Although we should plug, we did another podcast on Monday. We finished Sunday's episode and then decided Monday we were going to do a Patreon episode. So for any patrons out there that haven't heard it yet, go check it out. That was a really fun episode where we did a deep dive into every single series, um, gave where our predictions were going. That eventually uh, ended up on the website, but there was definitely a more in depth discussion that happened. Uh, on that Patreon podcast. And we talked about something else that I cannot remember right now off the top of my head. We talk about a lot of things and go on a lot of different tangents. So if you enjoy uh, enjoy the tangents and the nonsense that happens sometimes on the show, there's a whole lot of that that happens on that. So go check that out. Yes. Yeah. Those, Is that the earliest podcasts... ever plug? For... Is that the earliest ever plug for the Patreon? I mean, it, it was a seamless plug because it, it, it actually disproved what I said, that it's been seven days since we last recorded. Uh-huh. So it was relevant. It was needed. It was not at all forced oh, to get people to, to become patrons. That that wasn't at all uh, the intention there. But, yeah, the Patreon episodes are a lot of fun because, like Jake was saying, they do tend to go off the rails. And if you enjoy that kind of thing, well, <laughs> have we got two bonus episodes a month for you. So with all that being said, let's get into our first topic of the day. So Perry great listener of the show who we have met multiple times at our past uh, pickup games and you know I really can't wait uh, for the day where we can do those again because those were a lot of fun uh, we've had roller hockey pickup games in Long Beach at the outdoor rink we've had um, ice hockey pickup games so if if you are a hockey player you don't even have to be really that good I mean none of us really no, are anyway we're not good <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And none of us are. We're 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 middling. We're middling beer league players. Uh, we've had people come out that with made, almost no no hockey experience and yeah. still have a blast. So don't feel at all like oh I haven't played. Uh, you know I'm I'm not feeling comfortable. Just 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 come on out. It'll be a lot of fun. There'll be beer. If you like beer, th- there will be beer for you. So there you go. There and it I, is. And I say that. And I say that trying to trying to get you to come in any way, but we don't know when that'll happen. So yes. let's get back to Perry's question here. We've been talking a lot. It feels like we've been talking a lot for the last week or so about how the Ducks could pry one of these really skilled 
Toronto players out of their lineup and into Anaheim. And we've gone back and forth about different trade ideas with guys like Campus Lindholm, Josh Manson, uh, Ricard Raquel, finding ways for the Ducks to really bring in a young, talented forward to really really give them a, a foundation up front. Because right now, the Ducks have a lot of pieces at forward. They have guys like Troy Terry, Maxime Contois, uh, Trevor Zegras, all these players. And outside of Zegras, it's tough to say if there's really any strong links in there. I think Terry at least showed that he can be a contributor. We haven't really seen that yet from the other guys. So for the Ducks to flip one of their D-men, let's say, to go get like a William Nylander, it would make a lot of sense because you're giving yourself another young forward, but that is already close to star level if they're not already. So part of that equation, though, is figuring out, well, what do you still have in your defenseman that you could possibly trade? And we've talked a lot about potentially moving Lindholm. I personally don't really agree with that because I think Hampus Lindholm is still young enough and just so very good that you you kind of have to keep him around. I think he's a guy who makes sense still to be part of the second wave of this Ducks team. And I also think that he he has the potential to age gracefully. Of course, it's tough to say you're beating the odds at that point, but just his style of play, his relative lack of injuries throughout his career, I think he is one of those guys who, who could age pretty gracefully. But as far as like a Josh Manson, we've seen a decline in his game the last couple seasons. And so Perry asked us, the eye test for Manson has been very bad, in my opinion, in the last couple of years. I'm not at all impressed with his play and would prefer to see him go, despite the fact that he's one of our only proven right-handed defensemen. I think he's the only proven right-handed defenseman, unless <laughs> I mean, you want to factor good, in Eric Branson. Yeah, I was about to say, Good Branson <laughs> was all right this year. Let's give him a little yeah. bit of credit, seeing as we've, yeah, we've given him he a lot was, of crap over the he year. He was defying his career trends, let's just put it that way. Uh, would love to hear you guys really break down his stats and to better understand why people think he's actually decent. Thanks, guys. So, once again, thank you, Perry, for the question. It's a relevant question. The Ducks are going to have to find a way to improve their roster. So, just kind of, I guess, to... Let's address the first part of the question, Jake. So, I'll just throw this at you. Yeah. In the last couple of years, you know, with the eye test level, what have you seen from Josh Manson? Has there been a noticeable change in his game? It's really hard to say. I think probably if you were to ask people when he had his best season, they would probably all, we probably all would agree that it would be 17, 18. You look at his point totals from that year. That was the year that uh, he put up 34 points, which is, uh, sorry, 37 points, which is a career high. He'd never broken 20 points before that, hasn't broken 20 points since then. So I, I think people kind of let the offensive uh, point totals kind of buy it or add a little bit of bias to their mind. But if you look at a couple different things, uh, 17, 18, he was 52% expected goals, four percentage. Um, and I know you said eye test, but jumping into a little bit of the numbers here <laughs> I know on you, it. I'm just asking you, like, what do you think anything has changed just watching him play? So it the reason why it's tough, and, and this is why it's a very complicated answer, is he hasn't had a consistent partner. Last... We always saw Josh Josh Manson at his best with Hampus Lindholm previously. Now, granted, okay, fair enough. He was brought back to that this year, and I think that uh, he did have some, uh, as Hey Odiflo put in the Twitch chat, he did have some egregious mistakes in front of the net that I definitely don't disagree with. But I think the overall play that we've seen from him at five on five kind of lines up with what we've always seen with him and Lindholm being together. 
Now, granted, I think last year was a bit of an outlier, but that's because he was kind of all over the place with partners, with Carlisle trying to switch things up and Bob Murray doing a similar type of thing, although eventually bringing Lindholm and Mance back together. So kind of to answer your question, I think overall, no. I don't think there's been this drastic change. I think he's still the player that he was two years ago, and I think that there's been a little bit of an overreaction about his play this past year from an eye test level. So I mostly agree with that, but there is an aspect of it that I disagree with. I think okay. watching him play two years ago, in, so in the 17-18 season, Josh Manson had seven goals and 30 assists, 37 points in 80 games. And I think, and of course this is just me speculating a little bit, but he became, I think he got in his head that he could become this offensive type defenseman who could really join the rush and maybe the coaching staff, you know, because I think Marty Wilford arrived as an assistant in 1819. I think yeah. I'm getting that right. And yeah. so maybe the the new coaching staff tried to, you know, who were handling the D tried to get Manson to join the rush a little bit more. And you did see him taking a bit more risk uh, in, you know, joining the rush, trying to dangle with the puck a little bit more. And of course this is all just, this isn't something I could quantify it quite as much because the rates don't quite line up with that. But I do watch every single Ducks game, so I feel I feel somewhat well, qualified to say these things um, very intently. Th- we ha- we did a podcast about every game the last three years, and I, I think, think that, that the he, numbers back that up also. Yeah, well, he was. I think he might have been encouraged to become this offensive yeah, guy, and I fair. don't think that. And I don't think that that's what he ever really was because if you look at when he arrived. In Anaheim, you know, when he really, when his career got off to, uh, you know, the start that it did, he was a really, uh, an efficient player, but not a guy who stood out, you know, with these flashy plays, just very, very smooth, very, you know, just a guy who's making the smart play. The best, the the best yeah. play you would see from him was the little two to five foot pass in the defensive zone to, to allow his partner to break the puck out. Exactly. And I think... Once he got to the the point where he was starting to to accumulate some points, he I think he did make a little bit of a stylistic change. And in eighteen nineteen, you really st- see his stats just plummet. Of course, the team was a lot worse, but I do think that there was a noticeable do difference. You, do you think part of that is partner it, play, playing with Hampus Lindholm and playing with Cam Fowler, which is the switch that was made? is a vastly different situation. We always thought that Manson and Fowler could work well because Manson is a shot suppression type D-man, which for those of you that don't know, that basically means he's able to make plays to uh, stop shots from happening before they're even taken. So not, not just blocking shots. That's not what I'm talking about at all here by shot suppression. I'm talking about shot attempt suppression, which means making plays before guys can even get shots off. So getting pucks on the stick to poke check it away, getting the puck out of the zone, different things like that, which is what Cam Fowler really needed as a partner. And now maybe you're right. Maybe it is that he changed his stylistic game so he wasn't that same shot suppression D-man, which wasn't so that wasn't a good complimentary player to Cam Fowler. But I think that there is some sort of difference that happens when you're playing with a Hampus Lindholm and a Cam Fowler. Maybe he kept those those trends they started having and Cam Fowler's not the guy you want to have those types of trends with. Yeah, it is tough to say. So from an eye test perspective, I think that he he started taking more risks as his career has worn on. And I don't think it's necessarily benefited him all that much. He got he got his points and, you know, that's always great for contracts. But I think it it hasn't necessarily been quite as good for the Ducks. Now, one thing that does need to be pointed out in all of this before 
we get more into the stats portion of uh, of this analysis is that the Ducks have also just gotten way worse as a team over the last two years. I think that when Josh Manson was really putting up some some great numbers and was really playing that perfect style, the Ducks were just a better ro- they were just a better constructed roster. You know, 16-17 15-16, those were good Ducks teams. I know that we had some quibbles about how the Ducks were playing in 16-17 under Randy Carlo, but their numbers were still pretty good. They went to the Western Conference Final. And in 15-16, although they didn't fulfill their potential in the playoffs, that was still a very, very good regular season team. Now, I, I think that in 17-18, you saw that dip start start to occur just a little bit, and then it really plummeted in 18-19. And to me, that just that perfectly mirrors how this roster talent has gone. So, oh yeah. You kind of bl- you kind of blend all that together and I think that that is what's happened at least to my eye. Now, if we look at the stats though, what do the stats say about the progression <laughs> of of Josh Manson here or maybe the lack thereof? So, it, it's funny. You look at and right now I'm looking at evolving hockey because I I think there's a couple different things you can look at here. First off, one thing you can look at is expected goals for percentage because that's one thing Manson was always great at is being able to generate offense or basically suppress defense and have the the team generate offense. And so basically from 17, 18, basically, and all the seasons prior to that, he was easily above 50%, 52%, 56%. So what that means is consistently in the other team's zone as compared to his own generating uh, chances for more so than against. Whereas in 18, 19, there was a big plummet to 45.5. And now part of that, I think, is the team. Part of that is Fowler. There's a whole lot of other things. This year, the interesting thing is he was at 50%. But I think the context of that is a whole lot different than what it was when he was at 52 to 56%. Because the team right now was not even close to as good as it was from 14-15 to 17-18. So I think mm-hmm. in that context, the 50% expected goals for percentage is interesting. And the other thing I want to look at here and I is uh, evolving hockey's gar- uh, goals above replacement model. Because you're able to isolate... Uh, even strength defense, even strength offense, and see how a guy was able to do in those compared to a replacement level player. And Josh Manson basically defensively has constantly been in the four uh, four goals above replacement, three and a half, four, five, six point six. So, and and that continued this past year with being in the four uh, four goals above replacement. Where he really kind of struggled this past year is where he struggled last year, which is offense. And, and that's the funny thing is that seventeen eighteen season which is what you're saying with him create taking more chances and, and what your eyes saw there that's backed up by these numbers about the fact that offensively he created 11 goals above replacement in 1718 with the chances that he was taking the issue is is that if he kept ma- taking those chances and not taking them at the right time that goals above replacement plummeted last year and this past season to negative 2.9 and negative 3.8 so this guy Manson went from plus 11 to minus three basically yeah and so that's the biggest drop there and the biggest change in his game the actual defensive side of his game which it it's funny that's the thing people key on this past year is the gaffes that he had in front of the net which yes granted those are not good we we obviously watched every game we did a lot of podcasts the past season (laughs) there were a lot a lot of mishaps in front of the net and that led to goals against but here's the thing those are singular plays and that's kind of what we try to focus on um with looking analytics is those singular plays can really uh bias your view 
of a player. And now granted, those are the impactful plays. Those are what causes the goal cause the goals against. But if you're trying to analyze an entire, an entire season, you don't want those singular plays to be the reason why, even if there's 10 to 15 of them, that's only 10 to 15 plays throughout the entire season. And so that's where I think looking at these numbers is critical and seeing that, well, actually, defensively, he's pretty much been the same player his entire career. The biggest mm-hmm. thing is offense for him. And I think that's an interesting thing. And part of that may be the Ducks' offensive talent dipping also. Yes, I would agree with that. Because if you look at this past season, I think I'm looking at this correctly, the on-ice results in terms of the actual goals that were generated with him on the ice were very subpar. But from an expected standpoint, they were actually not that bad. So the looks they were getting were not so awful. It was just the, the results. And to me, there's so many different ways to slice that. You could say it's the shooting talent that was dropped off in a mm-hmm. rebuilding year. You could say it's bad luck. It's probably a, a bit of both. But, you know, what What does all this mean? So to me, it means a, it means a bunch of different things. But so for translating the numbers into, you know, what goes into those numbers, I yep. think. Which is the key when, thing here. When you are more offensive-minded – as a defenseman, you know, this is <laughs> I'm just thinking about Dougie Hamilton right now and all the debate that goes on around him. You are making a conscious effort to be more involved offensively. You're getting a little deeper into the offensive zone. You're joining the rush. You're you're taking more shots on net. And by doing that, inevitably you are it's really hard to be just as good, just as involved defensively because if you have to if the puck gets turned over when you're the third man in on a rush, you're not going to be you're not going to be able to get back in time if you're taking more shots from the point you know some of those shots are going to get blocked and maybe it's a it's a counterattack going the other way so for a guy like Josh Manson I don't know if he's necessarily as suited for that there are guys like I was saying Dougie Hamilton who can pull it off it also doesn't hurt that he's playing with Jacob Slavin but there are these elite defensemen who are just so good offensively but also so good defensively that they make it all work and with a Josh Manson mm-hmm. I just I just don't know if he's that guy. When he's at his best, he's winning puck battles. He's defensively yep. sound positionally. He's making the simple play. The sim- you know, his first read, he goes off of that, uh, a short pass or even a stretch pass. But it's just a simple but solid hockey play. It's, it's nothing where he's forcing the issue. And so I think that he can get back to that. I think that the, the ecosystem that he's operating in right now is not the most conducive. Uh, to to getting those types of results. I think that the way Dallas Aikens was coaching this team last year was a little loose, a little fast and loose. I don't think that they were that structured of a team. Honestly, if you look at their game throughout the season, it really waxed and waned. They they had some really lackadaisical performances at 5-on-5, and that speaks to the level of of detail and, and the level of commitment to that detail in your game. And so I think as the Ducks solidify their identity, their game, and they bring in some better players. <laughs> I think that Josh Manson can get back to that. I don't think that that player is gone. Now the question is for the Ducks, and this is what we circle back to now, having looked into his game. How much of that is valuable enough to where you keep him, or you say, you know, as much as I think he can get back to where he was, maybe we're better off flipping him to get someone who's part of the next wave. That is the that is the million dollar question. So where do you land on that type of scenario? Uh, where I land on that scenario is, so I, I think this is important to note is I think even with maybe some ducks fans having this perception of him kind of having a down year, I think that's a, a, 
a pretty widely held uh, view that a lot of different people have. I'm not so sure if that hurts his trade value necessarily. I think his trade value is still fairly high, being that he's a right-handed shot defenseman. He plays the style of game that GMs want to see. Um, and, and to me personally, I mean, everyone out there listening to this probably knows this. I'm completely on the board of trading Josh Manson. I mean, I was one of the first people mentioning it last year that they should really be looking into doing this. I mean, he's a guy that is currently 28 years old and going to be 29 in October. So he's basically at the end of his prime. Um, the last couple of years of his prime, we typically find it's about 23 to 29, maybe extends a little bit more for defensemen. Um, and so once he gets past 30, it's going to start kind of going downhill pretty quick, especially for a guy like Manson who plays a physical game. He's not exactly, he's not a bad skater, but he's not the most fleet of foot foot. Um, and, and that can really cause a pretty big decline in his game. And so Manson has two years left on his deal at 4.1 million. He'll be a UFA at the end of his deal. Right now, he has a whole lot of value. And yes, there is a whole lot of complications that end up with the Ducks roster um, with moving him with the right shot defense being a, a bit of a, a barren situation um, for the Ducks. But you're looking at a player that is realistically going to start declining. He's a player that his best days are probably going to be behind him pretty soon from an age perspective. And so by the time, like I've said with a lot of different players, by the time the ducks are contending, he's not really a player that you're going to be looking at to be in his prime years. Yes. He may be a veteran player that can provide leadership. And if that's the route they want to go with him, fine, but other guys need to be moved then because to me, he's a prime candidate to be moved because of him being right-handed shot. He's not necessarily part of the core. There's also the expansion draft issue, which is coming up in one summer from now where the Ducks will only be able to protect three defensemen. And do you want Josh Manson to be one of those? Are you comfortable losing him for nothing when you can move him now for a whole lot? Um, That's a conversation that needs to be had. And there's also, I mean, you can trade him for something younger, even if it is a right-handed shot defenseman. If you trade him for... I don't know. Would you do Josh Manson? There's, I don't really see a full reason why Boston would do this, but would you do Josh Manson for Brandon Carlo? Oh man. <laughs> Not but like the that, way that's, Brandon that, Carlo's playing right now, but, but sure. You get, I, I get you get your the point. thought process. The, yes, the thought process I, I there is point. that you're, you're trading for a, essentially almost a younger version, which some people may see, say, why would you do that? That's exactly what you get frustrated with Murray doing. Uh, with reshuffling duck chairs, deck chairs and things like that. The point is, is that you're getting a player that will fulfill uh, the age-related uh, contending window, basically. So you're getting a guy that's going to be in his prime during the next window. And so you're not going to... And I think that this is also from a player's perspective in Josh Manson's favor because he's able to go to a team that can maximize his ability to win. It's tough. It's a really tough decision to make, and you have to be mm-hmm. really set on who you're bringing in and yes, what you're giving true. up. And I and I think that for Manson specifically, he has, like you were saying, he has all those traits that that can drive up the value. The fact that he plays that hard nose style, the fact that he wears an A, the fact that <laughs> I hate to say it, but the fact that his dad was a famous NHL defenseman. I mean, all those things factor into the perceived value. And I don't know if I'm set on this being a rule of thumb yet, but I'm close to it. The best time to trade guys like these in a scenario that the Ducks are in is probably the time where you don't think you really need to. 
because yep. when you think you really need to, it's probably too late. They've lost their value, and then you have to do something that you don't want to do, like say buying out Corey Perry. <laughs> a couple of years, or I guess in last summer, <sighs> that feels like an eternity ago. But but you have Such to do something. You get put into a position that you don't want to be in, or you have less leverage. And so if the Ducks wait until the very last season of Manson's contract, you know, at a trade deadline deal, they're they're not going to get a whole lot for him. They're going to get a a second round pick at best at this point. And so, yeah, I think if they really do want to maximize the return on him, I think it's got to be now. He does have a, mo- a modified no trade clause. So he's got a 12 team, no trade list. And I would assume if Toronto is the team, the ducks are targeting. I don't think, I don't think Toronto would be on his list from everything we know about Josh Manson. So Mm-mm. to kind of bring it back to our, our hypothetical is William Nylander, a, a guy that you move out, josh manson for do you think that's a one for one no i think if you're the ducks you definitely have to add in more because william nylander is really good he (laughs) is very very good he's very good he's i know people look at that contract and think oh he's he's getting paid so much and he's locked up for a long time well that's actually a good thing because he's 24 he's still going to be in his prime for probably four to five more years at peak production level. And so for $6.9 million a year, I know that we're in a flat cap, but that's, that's going to change. That's not, it's not going to be that way forever. You're, you're getting his prime production years at way below market rate. Yeah. And you're, you're, you have him for four seasons. You're not locked into him forever, but yep. In those four seasons, you do get a prime level producer offensive talent. When hypothetically your team will get to the point where it can compete again. And within that window, I don't know where Josh Manson necessarily fits. So what would it take to get it done? For me personally, I think that you need to include a pick. I don't think yeah. you need to include the sixth overall pick. People I have been either. saying People have been replying to me on Twitter saying it has have to have the sixth overall in there. I don't think so. Nylander's not good, if you're, not, not if you're getting two not if you're getting two if, years of Josh Manson. If you're targeting Mitch Marner, that's a different story. But I think that with Willie Nylander, you don't have to do that. So let's call it a second round pick. Let's call it a first round pick. Let's let's call it the Boston pick if if we're pulling this deal off this year, and then probably a decent prospect, probably a a prospect you don't want to let go of, but that's the cost of doing business. Do here. you do let's you think that? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that if it's a pro or a decent prospect or a pretty good pros- prospect that that's going to mean that it doesn't have to be the second or a second round pick with it. I think that Josh Manson and maybe like a Sam Steele could get it done. I think if you're the ducks and the Leafs are willing to take Manson a second and Steele for Nylander, you, you jump for joy. Really? I think that's a, I think that's a little high, but maybe I'm going crazy here. I I think a second and steal is a bit high. I think a second and steal. you're getting, you you go, you, you go and you line up a parade on Catella, you you br- you oh, bring I, out all the the festivities. I'd because probably that still is a do it. For I'd probably still do it for a twenty four year old first line forward to give yeah, up Sam true. Steele, who is trending towards what a third line center, you know maybe second line with maybe middling production. We we just don't know with Sam Steele so right now. Anime and Holocktop bring, brings up that the mm-hmm. Leafs don't have a first-round pick, so they may want a first in the trade. I think if you're including a second and steal, that that, that's a different conversation because I don't know if the Leafs are caring so much about future right now. 
they're caring well, more so about now. Well, that's the thing. So who? That's fair. But that's Manson is the now. Manson. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's the guy you're bringing exactly. in now. And I don't think I, I think they do have to consider the future a little bit. Right. A little, I mean, which is where they, you're getting Sam Steele, who's a few, and, and, who's and probably Sam, a third and, liner. And Sam Steele isn't that far away. He, he's not, you know, he's probably a couple years away at most from being a, a regular NHL player. He may be a regular NHL or on the Leafs right now because they're a better team and they can protect him better. Yes. Now, what about Max Contois? Would you include Max Contois? I think I would. That's I, the, also, I'm not. I'm not That's as, the type of I, I guy think if it, I think they would target. <laughs> I think if it's Comtois, I think that that pick, I think the, the pick becomes lower if it's Comtois because I think people are higher on Comtois. I think Comtois has a little bit more of that reputation. Well, everything, uh, that we, um, everything that we're hearing about the Leafs is that they want to get nastier, that they want to get more physical and tough. Yeah. But you also have to be a decent player. And I think yep. Comtois fits that more than Sam Steele. Yep, just I would does. agree with that. So. Do you think that Sam Steele, which one do you think has more trade value? I think Comtois does because he's younger, mainly yeah, I, because he's younger and has the point pro, a bit better point production in the he, NHL. He's got more point production. The shine hasn't really come off him as a prospect. And with Sam Steele, there's just – we've seen too much of him by now. To, there, there's too much tape on him to, to, to still think that he's going to be this yeah. A-level guy. So. Um, but I think Max Comtois is probably going to be the better player at this point. So Probably. But who but knows? Kind of t- tying it all together, though, right yeah. now, uh, with, on this point is that I think if you could get Nylander for Manson, Comtois, and like a third or fourth, I think you do that instantly. I think any version of this deal that we've talked about, I would pull the trigger very quickly. I mean, yes. Obviously, if they say yes to something, you try and do a little better. You try to squeeze down if you can, but. I think Nylander really changes this Ducks team in a, in a way that they haven't experienced in a long time. Getting, a, like we've been saying, a, yeah. prime, a prime level forward well, who's a first liner, who's locked up. That's a huge building block that all of a sudden you've kind of got checked off on your to-do list. And picture him with Zgrass. I think that would be a pretty fun ta- tandem to have moving forward. I've had some people kind of reply to me on Nylander saying he's not worth it, saying he's had great talent around him, all these different things like that. No. I, I actually very much disagree with that. I think you look at a lot of different numbers that, that are able to isolate players and ignore, uh, or not ignore, but, but try to take out teammate quality. And you're able to see that uh, Nylander is very good and he may be the play driver on those lines. And so... To me, that's the exact type of player that you want to get to uh, compliment Trevor Zegras moving forward because I think, I mean, he put up 31 goals this past year and 28 points, and you look at last year, which, granted, some people were really negative on him putting up 27 points in 54 games, but you look at a lot of underlying numbers, he deserved a whole lot more goals than he got, a whole lot more than seven. It was greatly criticized in Toronto um, for basically being unlucky. That That's the best way to put <laughs> Shocker. it. Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Let's finish up this topic with this. So, you know, they've the Leafs have made it really clear that they still love that their 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 core and that they love Mitch Marner. But if Mitch Marner is available, if the Leafs are listening on Mitch Marner, what how how much are you willing to offer to make that happen? What what is what is the I'm gap? willing to re- I'm what willing is the gap to re- between Marner and Nylander? Uh, it's the gap between Manson and Lindholm. So it's a big gap <laughs> in favor, I, I would in favor say, of Marner. <laughs> I'd say a very similar, maybe 
not I, I go back and forth on whether Lindholm for for Marner is fair straight up because of cap hits because that is something to take into consideration here is Marner is going to be making 11 around 11 million uh Lindholm is at five and so there's a pretty vast difference in cap hits so the Leafs will get a huge cap savings in that deal I think if you maybe make it Lindholm and Steele I would do that in an instant but man I does that make it work though that's my question is what what do you if, if you're the Leafs first off I've said this multiple times I wouldn't trade any of these guys that we're talking about Marner no. Neil I mean that is the building block that you need that that's the strength of their team and to take away from a strength just to become marginally better at another position that's already pretty weak I don't know how much better of a team you really are at that point that that's kind of my issue with this whole narrative surrounding the Leafs is that, and this just turned into Leafs podcast, but oh well, we'll make it brief. Shocker, we talk about the NHL, so we're talking about the Leafs. Well, it's also relevant to the Ducks because there's a lot of talk of, oh, you can't possibly trade uh, a Manson because then you don't have any defense. Well, with the Leafs, you are legitimately playing that game of whack-a-mole, I think, if you're trading one of your top um, forwards because those are really the drivers of their success. And I think... Nylander is maybe the guy you could probably talk yourself into to moving off of, especially if you can get a decent return. But it's still a tough sell. With with the the Ducks, the Ducks are in a completely different scenario. The the Ducks aren't on the precipice of of you know playoff success. They're they're trying to get back to that point. And so you can't be so caught up in oh well, we can't have anyone on the blue line, you know, or, or we can't move anyone off the blue line because then we'll have roster imbalance. This roster. We've seen what this roster can do, and it, it doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> so maybe it's time to move the pieces around. And by getting a guy like Neilander, you're actually setting setting yourself up much better for long-term success, sustainable success, not just, oh, we're going to have this kind of mishmash roster and we're just going to hope that we can sneak into the playoffs. The, the, the goal should be, hey, can this team build something for the long term and actually Jord, be a, Jord, be a comp- uh, contender? George asked this question in our Twitch chat. Who makes your team better? Nylander or Marner? I, I think I don't even think there's a question. I think it's Marner. Yeah, but, it's Marner. But I think at the cap hit, you Nylander is the that, preferred that's the choice. Thing. I think wait, wait, for, the, for, for, for the Ducks, you don't want to take on that big of a contract. It doesn't well, make sense for a team that's rebuilding to, to commit all of that salary to one player when you're not totally sure yet you know, what your team is going to look like. Because at that point you're you're committing True. pretty heavily to, to building around Mitch Martner. and I I just don't know if from a Ducks perspective if that's the way they should be going right now. Yeah, fair, fair. So it is what it is. Um, okay. Speaking of Anything which, else? speaking of rumors, I want to briefly say no one believed the website that's putting out the the whole Getzloff rumor. There, there's a what, rumor floating what? around about Ryan about Ryan Getzloff being traded. Oh, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Yeah. He's, don't he's don't retiring tr- a duck. Yeah, don't he's retiring a duck. Also, don't believe random sites. Trust the the confirmed sources out there for rumors. Yeah, I know there's That's a lot it. of jokes about blue check marks nowadays, but look for the blue check mark. There, in, there's in a the, reason the joke exists. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Ryan Getzloff is is not going anywhere. Although uh, if he wanted to, he would be quite the trade ship for the Ducks. But anyway, uh, let's let's get on with the show here. So. We've talked a lot about the Ducks, and we're actually going to continue doing that because our first category for the week of playoff action, our former Ducks spotlight. Jake, 
I think you and I are in lockstep here. I'm going to give you the honors because this is really your bet. This is this is your claim to fame. <sighs> what is the former who who is the recipient of this week's former Duck Spotlight Award? <sighs> oh, it feels so good. <laughs> I get to I get I get to run to the top of the mountain right now. I get to run to the top of the mountain. I get to I mean Stephen Jane's and I were the were the two people that really kind of jumped on this bandwagon. Run to the top of the mountain hand in hand with him and scream hashtag Perry is still good. Corey Perry, the one and only, is my former Duck Spotlight of the week. Had a goal and an assist in a very big game. Has been pretty monstrous, honestly, for the Dallas Stars over their playoff run. I believe he's first on their team in terms of uh, individual expected goal. He's playing like the Corey Perry of old. He looks good. It's, it's fun to watch Dallas, and as someone who is... I mean, Dallas is a former Pacific Division rival of the Ducks way back when. There's a whole lot of bad blood between the two franchises. If you recall, Dallas fans were pretty pissed off when they signed Corey Perry. They did not know what to think. They did not know how to feel with the Stars signing uh, the evil villain from a rival. And now he's become pretty monstrous for them in the playoffs. And now, granted, he had a... uh, a goal turned over today because he was called for goaltender interference Shocker. on Cam Talbot. Shocker. Which that Corey also, Perry. also hilarious. Did Cam Talbot have some uh, flashbacks there at a certain point in time <laughs> to uh, a goaltender yeah. interference call with Corey Perry right around the front of the net? They couldn't help themselves but interact in that way. Yes. Yeah. But, but Perry has just been so, so good for Dallas. I'm trying to actually get up the stats right now on him to, to fully be able to uh, extol his virtues. Um, <laughs> but Perry uh, over the playoffs. Sorry, I'm getting it up right this second. I believe that he is currently second on the team behind Tyler Sagan in individual expected goals with 1.42 in five games. And that's all while only playing 74 minutes. So it's not as if he's playing first line minutes. Um, he has two goals, one primary assist for three points. So And it was a beauty of an assist, by the way. <laughs> and... I mean, this this is going to hurt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people out there. The Ducks are paying him $2 million a year for the next four years. So, I mean, wh- I'll let you. Wh- what was the, the little quip that you had about this? Uh, oh, well, I tweeted, and I'm pretty sure it's wrong statistically. But uh, that, Who cares? It's, it, it's it, funny. It's, it's a funny. Well, I think it would have actually held true for 1920 because of his bonus, his signing bonus this year. But Corey Perry, most productive Ducks player this year, based on points per dollar paid, is yeah. that possible? <laughs> is, possible? Is that possible? Probably right not. Now? Probably no, not. It, but it's it's definitely wrong. But I think it does it does merit us to revisit that buyout. It it kind of oh, we're you, doing it. We're doing it. Well, we don't have to do it for for no. A long, Let, a let's long do it. Day. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to go through the emotions again. I so at the time. I'm turning back the the clock here, and I'm taking us back to that day. In it must have been July. Was it July when he got bought out? Yeah, yeah it was June, like July. That. It was a summer month. I remember the morning, walking to my car, going to work, opening my phone to Twitter. Frank Saravalli tweeting the buyout that it's been done, and so many thoughts going through my head. And I remember us recording that podcast. And I remember thinking or saying one of the two. A lot of this is dependent on what they're going to do with it. It gives them an opportunity to move the rebuild forward. And so 
clearing up that cap space to whatever degree. I mean, not a huge one, but still. And creating roster space, kind of resetting the culture. All, there was all this stuff that could be done, potentially. Stuff and be, things. Be d- stuff and things that could be done with the buyout of Corey Perry. The issue is that when you're doing things based on stuff and things, you get nothing. You really don't actually benefit because if you look at what the Ducks did with all of these supposed benefits this year, Daniel Sprong flamed out. They traded him. All this right-wing depth that we thought that they had, Kiefer Sherwood barely sniffed the NHL this year. Troy Terry, they still treated him kind of like a back-and-forth player. So it's really hard to tell how the roster space argument held up. I would say, if anything, it held up pretty badly. And then from a cap space perspective, look, uh, it was very convenient that for Bob Murray that the whole Justin Falk trade was made public to show that he was trying to to bring in some some more players and and trying to put that cap space to work, but ultimately did nothing with it. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a a bad thing because was this really the year to bring in guys who, you know, who are going to take up more of, of that cap space? Probably not. But the point is, all of the supposed benefits of the Corey Perry buyout did not at all come to fruition in the first year of the buyout. Now maybe you know it's still in play that it could work out but early returns are looking very poor and the the big issue now is that let's say they hadn't bought him out he would have another year on his mega salary you know 8.25 or whatever it was and then that would be it but instead they've got two more years of this of paying him and that three three more years or yeah three sorry i'm it's a weird time (laughs) it's hockey in august but the point is that they're on the hook for a while longer and to what benefit really so it's not looking great it's really and, it, and, it, and it's and it's harder it's harder i think for fans to to understand it even more when they see him out there actually looking pretty yeah. good for a playoff club well and, and i think here's the frustration uh, on my part is the the deal didn't set itself up to be bought out with the fact that there was a, a three million dollar signing bonus in his upcoming summer because so for those of you, I'm going to try to put this as simply as possible. A signing bonus, you can't buy out. The guy's getting paid the signing bonus no matter what. The way a buyout happens is you take the amount of salary um, in those years, spread it out over double the years, multiply it by two-thirds. So you're saving one-third on the actual salary. Um, but the issue is the signing bonus is still there, so that's still added to the cap it. So that is why next season there is still a pretty significant cap hit for the Ducks. It's not as if they're having a big cap saving. They're only saving $2 million on the cap. They still have a $6.625 million cap hit form as compared to $8.625. So here, here's my issue with it is, well, yes, they could have used it for this year. What about next year? Uh, you're, you're basically in $2 million, and here's the issue. More likely than not, the player that is going to take Perry's spot is going to be paid about $2 million, right? Something around there? More, yeah. more likely than not in, in a $2 million range. So you're back at 8.625. Why not just keep Perry, not not extend it further? And same thing from the, the money perspective. From the money perspective, I think they're paying $11 million as compared to fifteen. So ba- over four years, over those four years, you're probably going to have a player that's taking that spot that's at least making a million or two. So there goes the hard money argument also because you're then replacing that roster spot with someone that is going to be paid. So the amount of money that you're paying is exactly the same also. Yeah. So any argument that's made to be it made to me about hard money, I don't buy it because you look at the pure money aspect of it, they're they're saving 4 million that's then going to be paid to other players 
for that exact same roster spot. So you should have just kept the player in the first place. And so my frustration from all of this comes, and I know it's irrational a bit, because in reality, what does this matter? Right. You asked me. You asked me that question. I think it was either today or yesterday in our text messages, saying what What matters here? Does Does it really matter that he had a thousand games? And, and while no, it doesn't. None of this actually matters, um, because the uh, Corey Perry wouldn't have made the Ducks better this year. The Ducks were were not good. It's not as if he would have propelled them to the playoffs. They still probably would have been in the same exact position had they had Perry or not. And, oh, and so I, it's not as I if jump that, in. Can I jump in really quickly? Yeah. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. One other thing I wanted to add. So the one argument you could make for them using that cap space was trading Andre Kasha and getting a first out of Boston by taking on David Backus's cap hit. But, but the issue is, is that it's being filled that, up next year. Exactly. So I don't know. It's, it's a weak, it's a weak argument, but that's the only thing I, I could come up like, with as evidence if, that they're using that buyout. Anyway, if continue. they were to have gotten some, someone that was a one year deal or something like that, then sure, but the fact that it, it's two million, you have a, you're saving two million cap space next year. It's not as if you're saving a whole lot in cap space. Um, so the the whole purpose of, of all of this is it's frustrating the fact that you have a career franchise player that was kind of thrown to the curb. That him and yes. Getzloff should have been able to hit a thousand games. It's symbolic. I know it doesn't really matter. It may be me crying over spilled mil- milk at this point in time, <laughs> but I, I, I think it, it does matter in, in the context of a franchise that you have these two players that are going to be linked with this period of the franchise, without a doubt. That This period is the Getzloff and Perry period. The, there's no way around that. Perry won an MVP with the Ducks. Getzloff was the franchise cornerstone. These are two guys that are that came, were drafted so close to each other. Uh birthdays so close to each other broke into the league at the same time and to me it just as dumb as this sounds and illogical from a numbers or anything perspective it doesn't feel right that perry wasn't able to have that thousand games the same season as gets was in a well, duck especially sweater. and both and both could go yeah. down as career ducks well especially simply because for to what end was this all done that's the that's the part that stings the most, I think, from yeah. a Ducks fan perspective, is that if the Ducks were a contending team and this additional cap space would be what puts them over the top to go and get an additional player to go on a cup run or you know something like that, then yeah, I, I think it's yeah. still kind of a rough look for the franchise. But at least there's a tangible you get it. benefit. For but right now, very difficult to point to really any particular reason yeah. why this happened. Um, yep. I, I don't know. I mean, was there friction behind the scenes? I mean, there's maybe just something we don't know about how the relationship was between Perry and the front office. Maybe there was uh, a bit of a souring of the relationship. Who knows? Who knows? But when you're judging it from the outside with the available information, it doesn't look good. So if your only argument becomes some appeal to the unknown, it's kind of a sign you're losing the debate. So all of that being said... <laughs> We kind of just dug deep there on on some some past trauma. I, I apologize yeah. to everyone for for bringing that back up. But anyway, good on Corey Perry. Uh, he's performing really well in the playoffs, and uh, yep. it's just good to see. It's good to see uh, Corey Perry getting goals called back because of goal interference. It's good to see Corey Perry losing fights as he always does. Uh, it's just it feels right, and and that's always a good thing. So let's move on to our next category here: Hero of the Week. So. This week uh, and every week that we're doing in these playoffs, we're going to pick 
our hero of the week. Could be anyone in the hockey world, commentator, coach, player, whoever. Um, so, Jake, who is your hero of the week, your standout performer of the past My hero of the week is Braden Point of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Interesting. Braden Point, Braden Point who had two goals and an assist – or sorry, uh, three goals I think over the past week, and an assist. He had two goals in Game One against uh, Columbus, including the game winner, which is the main reason for this. Uh, in the five OT game, and then came back with another goal yesterday that eventually put Tampa up in the series two to one. He also have has the highest individual expected goals at five on five throughout the past week, so he's generating a whole lot of chances. So I'm going with Braden Point for the week. Interesting, my hero of the week. Are you ready for this? Let's go. I am. I think I know where you're going. Do you? Maybe. <laughs> Should I, I really, guess? I, I haven't. I Yeah, go ahead and guess. Why not? Well, here, let's do a bit of a 10, 20 questions real quick. Is no. it on Montreal? No, it's not. Well, then never mind. I'm, I'm wrong. Go, go on with your day. Keep going. So my pick for Hero of the Week isn't a player. It's a coach, oh, Barry wow. Trotz. Barry Trotz. Oh, wow. The Islanders are up three to nothing on the Washington Capitals, and I will be the first to say that I did not see this one coming. The- can can we have a bit of a conversation on this? Because I got to ask you a question on this. Sure, go for it. Did is this a situation where we underestimated Barry Trotz and the Islanders, or did we uh, overestimate the Capitals? So it is a bit of a push and pull because I do think that the Capitals were probably pretty overrated going into this series. I feel like I bought in too much to their just roster talent and maybe didn't look in depth enough into what the what the pieces actually added up to. But either way, I mean, even if you're saying that they weren't playing their best hockey or whatever it is, if you just compare these two rosters side by side, That's you fair. wouldn't you wouldn't predict the Islanders to be up 3 nothing, And especially today, where the Islanders won, yes, in overtime, but really trounced the Capitals in an expected goals perspective. I mean, 2.82 to 1.82 by, by a full goal. Um, Money Pucks deserve to win meter, 70% Islanders, and that's based on just the number of shots, quality of shots. For them to just kind of annihilate the Capitals in a very Islanders way, not... Not a ton of volume, but just really stifling them. That's impressive. And, you know, the Islanders have good... I mean, they have good players. Matthew Barzal with a great OT winner today. But to me, this is a Mm -hmm. lot of Barry Trotz doing what he does best. And I know that there were some complications that pretty much made it impossible for the Capitals to re-sign him. But I think now, in hindsight, it does seem like that cup they won in 2018 was a bit of a coaching job because... And, you know, they had one coming. The, the Capitals should probably have more than one Stanley Cup in the past decade. But he is a very good coach. And yeah. he is making his former employers look pretty bad right now. The Capitals should not be going down this meekly. And yet they are. So I'm giving it to Barry Trotz. Completely fair. Completely fair. Just wanted to bring up that point on that uh, that one. Um, so moving on to zero of the week. Zero of the week. So... Zero of the week, as you can imagine, is the opposite of hero of the week. So it's the the least impressive performer of the week. Once again, can be anybody. So who's your pick? Uh, I've got two. So let me say the first one, two. and then if you don't pick the second so one, negative. 
I, I am so negative. Um, so negative. Jordan Bennington. Jordan Ooh, Bennington I, is my I thought, zero I thought of the week. Lo- I, I thought for a good while about picking him, but go ahead. I've got another one, but Bennington is the first one that comes to mind. In his uh, four games playing for the Blues, uh, he has a negative 4.34 expect or GSAX. So he's been well worse than average. I mean, the Blues find themselves down to nothing. As we record, it's tied one-to-one, but Jake Allen, I believe, is starting in net for them as compared Canucks to Jordan seven. Biddington. I, I, shouldn't, um, I shouldn't have said seven. I should have said less than seven. Seriously, I'm feeling but... real bad about my pick of the Blues, <laughs> but Jordan Biddington does not look good, and it's kind of, uh, oh, I guess uh, as we're recording, the Blues just scored to make it two-to-one. Uh, okay. It David okay. Perron scores. Um, yeah, they need but, that game, I mean, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but but still, that kind of validates the point that they have they had to turn to Jake Allen. Now, granted, they're playing back to back, so who knows if they go back to Bennington uh, tomorrow? Yeah, we'll see. We'll but, see about that. But but still, the the point still stands. I mean, we all said it last year with uh, Jordan Bennington that he had a really good run, but who knows if this is actually the goalie that he is, and we're seeing this year and right now kind of what he actually is a little bit more. Um, so my zero of the week. Jordan Bennington. The name that comes to mind when I watch Jordan Bennington these days is a name that I didn't want to be associated with him, but that we'll see. There's still plenty of time. I'm not Associ- writing off Jordan Bennington. Lay it Can out you guess there. the name. Andrew Hammond. Cam Ward. So Ooh. for those who don't remember, Cam Ward was... That, that, that's a better comparison than, what, than Andrew Hammond, at least, or a it nicer is comparison. Cam Ward was spectacular in the Carolina Hurricanes 2006 Stanley Cup win. I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but he was the backup to start the playoffs. And as a Canadians fan, I remember him blanking the Canadians in the first round after Martin Gerber was chased out of the net. And Cam Ward did not go on to have a very stellar career after that. He kind of fizzled pretty badly. And, I mean, there are some truthers out there for Cam Ward. I'm not really one of them. And I'm kind of getting those same vibes from Jordan Bennington. You know, he took a while to really even become an NHL goalie and had one really good run and now looks like he's kind of losing it. So it's a, it's a weird year. It's tough to draw these crazy conclusions, but hey, we've got nothing better to do. So I'm going to do it. Um, and I Elias Pettersson just... Elias Pettersson just tied up uh, the Blues-Canucks game. Real quick, yes. something that pops into my head. Yes. Um, do you remember, it may have been Corey Pronman compared uh, Trevor Zegras to Elias Pettersson. Said he, he has the skills and the ha- and the skill set of Elias Pettersson without the shot, though. Yeah, I was going to say the shot would be the big differentiator it, there. If but he yeah. becomes Elias Pettersson without the shot, though, that's still a damn good player. I love watching Elias Pettersson. He I is mean, so he is, good. He, he is so good on his own that he was a very significant factor in me picking Canucks in seven. So uh, let's get to my zero of the week. Not a, not a player. Once again, keeping up my streak of not picking a player. Wow. None other than Boston Bruins commentator, Jack Edwards. With Ooh, going maybe there. The, the worst tweet of 2020 for, of, on hockey Twitter. It, it's up it's there. Gotta, it's up it's there. It's gotta be right. Um, I'm not even going to read it because that would be already too much. But basically, for those who didn't watch, uh, in the Hurricanes-Bruins Game 3, I believe it was, Game 3. Yeah. Um, during the game, Andrei uh, Sveshnikov got injured. 
and he got tangled up with Zdeno Chara in front of the net, twisted his ankle really badly, and it's looking pretty doubtful that he's going to be back in the series. And Jack Edwards thought that it would be a nice thing to say that basically Svechnikov poked the bear and he was going too hard at Chara, and, and that's what happens. I mean, it's a loose interpretation. Again, it's not worth describing it in, in full detail, but what a horrendous thing to say about a guy who is a promising young player who is not a dirty player by any means. I mean, Andrei Sveshnikov plays the game the right way. He, he's a fun player, yep. highly skilled, physical, yes, competitive, yes, not dirty at all. And for him to say that somehow he deserved it or that he, he was complicit in that, first off, that's almost admitting that Chara did something dirty there, which yeah, is kind of exactly. funny. Why, why is he needing to justify what happened? Because because I, I don't even know if that that's necessarily a dirty play. Yeah, Personally, I, I, I mean, didn't view it that way. My gut reaction was it was dirty, but upon further review, I think it was just kind of a bad result. Part of it is Chara's yeah, are so much taller. It was a battle in front of it was a ba- battle in front of the net, and crap happens. Yeah, and so it was just a very weird comment to make, and a very inappropriate one when a guy's going down injured, and it's just. just it's just typical, typical Boston media. And there's some good reporters in Boston, but after the Haggerty article, just totally burying Richie after one bad game, really, and then this, it's it's becoming tough to, to keep up. And then you've got the Milbury comment. He's not really Boston media, but he's a former Bruins. So it's just, I don't know wait, what, what it is. Are, are, wait, which Milbury comment? Because I may have missed this. So Mike Milbury called out Tuka Rask for opting out of the bubble on on, Wait, air, really? on NBCSN. Yes. <laughs> well, this goes in with my narrative because my narrative, my bad, good or bad narrative of the week is uh, the bad narrative is that Tuka Rask quit on his team. So go ahead. Let me know what he said. Well, I don't have a verbatim in front of me, but basically just questioning the decision, right? And I think that at a bare minimum, if you're questioning a guy saying he's leaving to be with his family, it's a bad look. It's a really tough it, look. Th- this is this is such a bad look. So my my bad narrative of the week is there. It's mainly Boston people, but there are people outside of the Boston bubble. But this is just definitely reaffirming that Boston media can be awful. Boston fans can be awful, and there are bad apples in a whole lot of fan bases for sure. So not trying to judge every single Boston Bruins fan in this big bubble, but Tuka Rask did not quit on his team. In there's a whole lot within this. Tuka Rask for anyone that that missed it opted out of the bubble, um, and mainly due to the fact that I believe that his wife or not wife uh, partner just had a daughter, their their kid, or maybe they have was a pregnant, newborn. And she's a, she, a newborn. She's alone at home with the newborn. Yeah, and that's he, brutal. And after and after yeah, two to three weeks, he just his heart wasn't in this and felt like his place was better at home to take care of his family them being here and i mean to be honest i i believe that someone said that there should be more mental health people at the bubble and things like that for for stuff like this that, that, w- that wouldn't have if, changed this no, no no i'm not saying that would have changed this but that's oh. kind of the part of this is with his mental health if this is the right move for him to make then this is the right move for him to make and for anyone to criticize someone without being in their shoes it is just completely out there and awful and you should not respect their opinion on that at all because the players should be able to make that decision for themselves and you no one can say what's the right move and this is tough none of us have been in this situation so to me the idea that he quit on his team is just 
complete yeah. bullshit basically there's no there there's no other way to put it and i i think the one other thing to say if you're a player on the bruins first off you want to support your teammate if that's how he feels that's how he feels but also his head may not have been in the game so if you're a player it's also more beneficial to you and your team if he does what's right for him yeah yeah and i mean i i get it that if you're a teammate or if you're someone in the bubble that's one of these guys that's setting everything aside to be here and to to win in an environment where you're not even getting paid uh, because players don't get paid for the playoffs. I could understand resenting it a little bit because you're going through the same thing to some degree and you're not the one leaving. But at the end of the day, the players bargain to be able to opt out. It is within their rights yeah. to opt out. So whether you agree or disagree with the decision, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they built into the system that you can opt out at any time. So if you truly had an issue with guys leaving, you should have been way more vocal at the time saying, no, they should. You're, you're basically saying players can't opt out is what you're saying. Players can't, players can't change their mind basically is what you're saying. Exactly. What you're, because you're basically having an issue with the whole opt out feature, right? Because when is going to be a good time to opt out during the round Robin you can always make up a narrative for why it's not a good time. And so, yeah, it's just a bad look. It's, it's kind of one of those toxic hockey culture things that, you know, it's, it's the overload of the team concept, put, you know, put your head down, put your head down and play. It's team first. It's not about yeah. you, that whole and it of is. thing. It, it is 90%, 99% of the time. It's about the team. It's about sacrificing yourself for the team. But like Tuka said, there's things bigger than hockey and family is absolutely Number one on that mm-hmm. list, and so it's crazy that people would question him on that. But I mean, it's it's 2020, so all bets are off. Um, <laughs> yep. My bad narrative. Uh, my bad narrative is that the Philadelphia Flyers are contenders. <laughs> I don't think this team is anywhere close to being contenders. I've watched them now playing against the Canadians, getting their asses handed to them in Game Two, winning a pretty close but mostly boring, unimpressive Game Three. Um, I just don't see it with the Flyers. I don't particularly get it. There was all this hype about them. The underlying numbers were middling uh, towards the end of the season when they were, quote-unquote, the hottest team. The only thing that was hot about them was their shooting percentage. They were shooting the lights out well over 10%. Yep. And, yep. you know, if you watch the NBCSN broadcast, it's 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 making me go crazy how eloquently well, they look, talk about the – not eloquently, but just how much they're, you know, praising the, the Flyers for – really something that they haven't done yet and that and they're, that they're the not one doing anyway they're, they're the one seed and they're treating them as if they're the one seed yeah but they won they won the one seed by winning three games that nobody was caring about anyway so it's really frustrating obviously my bias is showing a little here as a Canadians fan but it is just insane how much respect the Flyers are getting I'm not saying they're a bad team I'm not saying that you know that that they've got no shot or whatever but the level of discourse that's surrounding them just doesn't match at all what I see and what the numbers have to say. So that is the bad narrative of the week. Hopefully the Canadians can come through for my bracket and your bracket and uh, and dispel that narrative, yeah. but uh, kind of tough after tonight's loss. So we'll have to see. Yep. Hey, let's, uh, let, let's, <laughs> let, let me real quick ask you this then. On a, on a narrative that I've completely made up now. <laughs> okay. Which So I'm, I'm going to arbitrarily say... It, it's a good narrative here. The Montreal Canadiens are a rebuild model that the Ducks should try to follow. So this is something that I put out on Twitter 
mainly because you texted me about that and i thought huh and i put how many of your wait how many of your tweets are are like that how about how about that uh very few very few but some the good ones the good ones um and i put that out there because not because the canadians are this model for excellence but because their model quote-unquote kind of fits with where the ducks are at a team that didn't go fully into the tank that still has big salaries on the books that finds a way to grow out of that middle. I mean, the ducks have gotten so bad now that they're not really in the middle, but a team that didn't really go fully into the tank and that found a way Montreal to wasn't really, I mean, Montreal wasn't really in the middle either. I mean, they drafted Kokaniemi what at three. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So they, they had that one bad season. And so the Canadians did a, a few things that ha- are really paying off for them. They made some really difficult trades. The one that really comes to mind and that is a big reason why they're still playing hockey right now is because they traded their captain, Max Pacioretty, for Tomas Tatar and Nick Suzuki. And at the time, I kind of disagreed with the trade just because Tatar, if you remember, was a healthy scratch for Vegas during the playoffs in 2018. And Nick Suzuki was a really good prospect, but you know I didn't really know too much about him, a 13th overall pick. You're not getting a top five pick kind of guy. And as it turns out, the Canadians were spot on. Uh, Tomas Tatar in an elevated role has been exactly what they needed. And Nick Suzuki is is their first line center right now. So they, they made a difficult decision. I don't think it was easy for anybody to make that happen. I think that it was needed. I think, you know, Pacioretty had kind of worn out. I don't want to say worn out as welcome in Montreal, but the point is you have to make difficult calls to eventually move the chains forward. And I think that that's what the ducks could learn from a little bit, because as we talked about with Manson earlier, there's a bunch of guys on this roster who are the quote unquote patch of the ducks, a guy that, Hey, if you move this player, it's going to be uncomfortable, but there's a, a potential reward on the end, other end of that. And, and FYI, Max Pacioretty was 29 uh, when he was uh, moved from Montreal and actually was coming off a career low in points at 37 points in 64 games and still netted a return that was really significant for yes. Montreal in their rebuild. And, and so that's the thing to be critical is that trade happened summer of 2018. Mm-hmm. And and to me that, and let me know if you agree or disagree with this thing as you are the Montreal fan here, um, that that's almost the, that, that off season is the off season where it really felt like they gave in. Um, and, and kind of went with it because that was the summer they drafted Kokaniemi also, right? And had just come off a pretty bad year. The summer prior was when they traded Sergachev for Druan, right? Wasn't that summer of 2017? Why'd you have to bring that up? Hey, I get Theodore so many times I can bring up that trade once. Um, yeah, but that's, that, that, that's so to point. me, to me, that's a similar type of thing where 2017, they were trying to hold on, trying to hold on, trying to hold on to making the playoffs. And then 2018, the summer yeah. with a third overall pick, they started to kind of give in and make these moves and make these trades and, and start swinging some trades for guys. And you're starting to see the benefit of that with guys getting elevated into roles that they wouldn't have been in. Otherwise you're seeing guys moved out and picks moved in and those picks are coming in and now making an impact on the roster. And on top of that, you have uh, a world-class goalie. And and so that's also why I think that, (laughs) and I think that's why that's a model the ducks can realistically follow. There may be, if they end up giving in and keep in mind, 2018, 19, the year after they gave in and they started actually playing really good hockey, which I think is the critical aspect here. Also for me is you look at their five on five numbers, 
they've been really good at five on five since Claude Julian took over. And now granted that could just be a Claude Julian type thing. Um, but 2018, 19, they had what? 96 points. It was the highest point total to ever miss the playoffs. Yeah. Or and the highest since now a very long time. Yeah. And, and now this year you have them not having the point totals that they should have had probably, but their five on five numbers are really good again. And it's almost as if just carry price having a bad season. So that's why I view that model as something the ducks can follow well, because the they're ducks, building something. The, and the they, ducks have the elements of that. They have John Gibson ex- who, who's exactly young, who's younger than carry price and who exactly still, who still has many years left of being an elite goalie and he's, and he's locked up on a very team friendly contract. It's the, it's actually kind of the opposite of the Canadians in some ways, because the elements of the Canadians yep. rebuild that has made this rebuild tougher, AKA, for example, the Weber and price contracts, which were really, especially like with the Weber situation. I mean, the critical mass for the Canadians going into a rebuild, like you said, was that 16, 17 year. They lost in round, they lost in round one to the Rangers. And then 17, 18, they made a playoff push again, lost, fired Michelle Terrian, hired Claude Julian. And then that summer of 18, they leaned into the, the kind of reset and for the ducks there hasn't been that kind of that that distinctive moment quite yet you could argue Corey perry's buyout was part of that but outside of that really there hasn't been anything close to that and so close to that kind of franchise altering move and we're not saying make a move for the sake of making one but at a certain point when things are getting stale and when you can tell that this roster is just not it, it, it's just not working you have to find a solution you have to find an alternative and so yeah we'll we'll see what the ducks do they they are the, the elements of the canadians rebuild that have made this more difficult those big contracts the ducks don't really have that john gibson's on a team-friendly deal he's younger mm-hmm. than Carey price ryan well, getzlaff's going to come off the books ryan kessler isn't too far away from that either Corey perry is sort of off the books so the Ducks are setting in themselves up pretty well, but they there's still some shoes to drop for them to really take that next step. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The one thing I do want to say is that for the Ducks, I think that the Max Pacioretty trade for them would be a move of one of Manson, Fowler, Lindholm. I think one of those guys getting moved out, or even Henrique. Henrique's value is at an all-time high right now. You move one or two of those, you're going to get that. That is their Max Pacioretty deal in mm-hmm. this uh model and sorry real quick i want to backtrack before we move on to analytics darling on the tuka rask thing that was brought up by anime holocstop which i think is important to bring up is that there have been some talks that more players may follow suit mm-hmm. um to tuka rask of opting out that there i think marshawn mentioned that there are there's some talk that players families were originally supposed to be able to join them at, in the conference final but that may not look like to be the case um, for teams that make it that far. So there may be some veteran players that see this and, and now, and as time goes on, eventually follow suit. So I don't know. I yeah. wouldn't be shocked if, if in a week or two, if there, there aren't more players that follow along this path, which, you know, does kind of make me sad because we want to see the best product possible, but yep. The fact that we're even having hockey of this caliber in these conditions, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yep, agreed. Um, can't, okay. question, can't so, question at all. On to analytics darling, the fa- the last category. How do we describe, here. what is an analytics darling? What is this category? An analytics, an analytics darling is someone who has really good underlying numbers. They're, they're five-on-five metrics, different things like that. But their, their on-ice production isn't necessarily there yet, 
or they're not given as much credit as they should. Basically, they're not getting the 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 talk that they should for how good they have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's fair. So you want to go first? I got one right now. I think this is just going to become the podcast of rehashing old ducks moves. But oh, am I stealing your pick? No, but you're gonna do this, really? I mean, you brought up the Druin trade, so now I, I have to, I have to, to yeah, because every single episode you bring up this one. I actually am not going that route. I you you talked oh, me really? off that ledge. I was gonna talk about Shea Theodore. I was gonna do it, <laughs> but I well, will also say, that's not a darling because he's just so good. But his numbers are also really good. But the the one caveat is that they are playing the Chicago Blackhawks, who although they won. The Blackhawks won today. I, you know, he's they're beating up a team that's way inferior to them. So I'm not gonna go fully in on that. Um, my analytics darling is Andre Kasha. Surprise, surprise. Uh, uh, okay, that that one I'm good with. He he's just doing what he's always done. I mean, he's completely outpacing the opposition when he's on the ice. 58.8% uh, shot attempt percentage. 62.19 expected goals for percentage. When Andre Kasha is on the ice, good things tend to happen for his team. He wins puck battles. He's creative off the rush. He's He got caught with his head down um, a couple times in this series already against the Hurricanes, which is also <laughs> typical Andre Kasha, but he's he's doing what he did on very the good. He's very he's good. He's very he's, good. He's a play driver. That is another trade that I, although I don't think it was wrong to trade Andre Kasha, just... As a concept, I think that the return on that is very questionable at best. Getting the what's going to be a low first-rounder, a fourth-line center, and David Backus, whose best days are behind him. And uh, I'm blanking on the, the prospect. Crap. This says a lot. This a- says a lot. A- oh, man. Axel, Axel Anderson. A- Axel Anderson, yes. Uh, thank you for that. So yeah, Andre Andre Kasha's numbers are very good. He looks good by the eye test, and he is the analytics darling of the week for me. Who's your pick? All right, my analytics darling is Ryan O'Reilly's line, specifically because I think it's been a rotating third person, Ryan O'Reilly and David Braun together. Um, so far this past week, um, not including tonight's game because that's not in these numbers. This is only for two games. They've been on the ice for thirty-five shot attempts for and only seven against. <laughs> The Canucks do not generate any... They've allowed one shot on goal against at 5-on-5. And of course, guess what? That one shot on goal went in. (laughs) Is that the the Pedersen goal? I don't don't know. Didn't look into it that much in depth to win this goal game. But it it wouldn't have been tonight. This is from the last, the previous two games of this series. But but my point is, is that they're an analytics starling because everyone would look at plus minus and say Ryan O'Reilly's minus one mm, uh, I, so I far like in the playoffs. Angle. Yeah, he's minus one. He's been defensively bad. He's eighty six percent expected goals for percentage. He's been on the ice for one point oh three expected goals for point one six against. Mm. He's allowed like one shot on goal against when he's <laughs> on the ice. And that one went in. And so that's to me, he's the analytics darling because you look at traditional stats, plus minus, everything's like that. He would not pop out to you. He'd be bad per that. You look at actual numbers, he's good. He's very, very good. I'm starting to think that the analytics darling is going to be the guy who's either, who's getting maligned in the mainstream 
analysis, but it looks really good. So Nick good. Ritchie? <laughs> so Nick Ritchie didn't have a good game, too. His his stats were no, very he didn't. poor. He didn't. So he didn't. He had a very good game one though. Yeah, well that series so just to kind of round things out here with the little chatter, th- that series between Boston and, and Carolina, the hockey has been really good. But it's so good. I it slowed down a little bit in game three, but I am not feeling awesome about my Hurricanes in seven pick anymore. I don't want to hurt your feelings with that, but Andre Sveshnikov being out and uh just they yeah just, i had canes in five so they, that that's just, down the drain they just look so dull in game three and it's just one game but uh yeah i'm i'm not feeling awesome about about that pick boston maybe i didn't give them enough credit for how they can just turn it on but uh it, it's gonna be interesting the hurricanes have a comeback in them what's another series does, that does james mm-hmm. does james reimer start in game four I think they go back to Morazic. He was fine in Game Three. He wasn't the reason they lost. Their their offense just James Reimer d- didn't really show up. James Reimer, win one win in this series. Peter Morazic zero wins in this series. I mean, if you want to, if you really want to play that game, <laughs> I'm just, sure. I'm just, yeah, I'm just throwing that out. If there. you want to put your your dunce cap on, I have another bone to pick with you, but but we'll we'll get to that. What's another series? Oh, what's that? What's another? Ooh, I, I'm excited for this. What's another series that that has caught your attention this week? Um, another series that has caught my attention. I mean, I mean we, we took Carolina Boston, I, I'm which surpri- is the, I'm surprised the easiest we, one. We haven't talked about the quintuple overtime at all. Feels like that happened well, a, a year ago now. <laughs> that that's the reason why it almost feels like that would have happened on the last podcast. Five OT. Um, thoughts. I mean, we talked about it though. That game was fun and that was absolutely crazy. But I mean, there's something about that series that just isn't. Oh, oh, George is proud of what what the bone you have to pick and fair but we'll get we'll get to that we'll get to that um but tampa tampa columbus just hasn't been exciting for me it hasn't caught my eye it hasn't made me excited to watch the games um necessarily i think part of it is that columbus just plays a very boring style of hockey and so it's not exactly fun uh to watch uh them play um st louis vancouver has been pretty good honestly i mean so I want to say Colorado Arizona a little bit, but I haven't really watched Arizona. I, I've watched bits. Came out with a huge win yesterday. Big, very, very big win. Um, I mean, the series I've been keying in on the most as I'm kind of going through just to refresh because there are so many games. Yeah. Uh, refreshing my head on each series. Vegas Chicago has been one I'm watching mainly because I want a good laugh, and <laughs> it's definitely provided it. Uh, Vegas somehow lost today's game, and so there went my Vegas and four prediction. But uh, this was the game where Chicago had no business being in the game. And so I'm more watching it just to watch a, a circus, a, a complete shit show a bit of a series. And it's definitely delivered that. So yeah. I'll go with that series as catching I, my eyes. I had Vegas in five for this very reason. Just something weird was going to happen that would cost them a game. The, the, funny thing with that, the funny thing with that series is they played yesterday and went to overtime. And you could argue Chicago was the better team yesterday. Yeah. And then today where Chicago had no business being in the seer in the game they somehow win Corey crawford just with an insane performance that i don't think we'll ever see from him again yeah i mean who knows um the series yeah. that has caught my attention which i absolutely 100 percent did not expect dallas calgary it's kind of fun it's kind of fun these, it has been these it has these been. games are back and forth 
I talked about this in, in the article we did with our predictions. Both teams are just so equally mediocre in my eyes that it kind of makes for good theater. Um, the, the, yeah. the game four with the, with the, all the crazy back and forth, um, you know, Joe Pavelski with a, a hat trick, <laughs> I mean, to, to get, to get Dallas into overtime after the goal had been disallowed. And then game three was crazy as well. Corey Perry's standout performance. I had Dallas in seven. I can't say I feel awesome about that right now, just in terms of who's going to win. But I do feel pretty good about the the, the seven part of that. The, the, this yeah. series is very close, and I think it's going to go Real, the distance. Back, somewhat backtracking slightly to Hero of the Week. I want to give a shout-out to Hero of the Week is whoever th- uh, realized that NBC needed to be brought into 2020 and finally made the <laughs> shot counter permanent. Yes. Finally. They still don't. Like, it's still how not, long does it? It's still not permanent, by the way. Well, it it's permanent throughout most of the game. There are bits of time or periods of time where it's not there, similar to a Fox broadcast, like a stoppage or things like that, where it will go away. I'm watching the St. Louis-Vancouver game right now. It's currently not there as the puck is about to be dropped. And now that play has started, I believe they are about to have it showing. But... So it's not there completely permanent forever, but it's there for ninety to 95% of the game. Yeah. And so I, they, they need to make finally, that permanent because I, it just feels wrong when there's no shots. I, I don't know how else yeah, to say it. Agreed. It just feels wrong. And it's just such a nice little additional piece of context because hockey's not a sport where you can just look at the TV. If you haven't been watching and know what's going on by looking at the score, basketball, football, these other sports, you can do that. But hockey, you need to see the shots to get a feel for how the game is flowing. And NBC, get it together. I guess you're you're getting it together slowly. Fine. Yeah, that, that's the point. So, all right. So, what's the bone you have to pick? We're gonna round me. out the, Hit me with the, it. the show here with one of the more dreadful takes that I've. Oh wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Before this, we we had two questions. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Wow. One of them was from Anime Holics. Look at you just ducking this roasting you're about to receive. <laughs> Question to Felix. How much alcohol was consumed during the Habs game? Which one? The the one tonight that just happened before I'm we started recording where the Habs lost I'm and you're ignoring the game. Oh, let's see here. I can actually do the math for you. because I, I re- And this is also setting up the context for the next argument of how, with how much you've drank. I am averaging there, uh, two point. There's a reason I'm two point six seven beers a game. Watching tonight was two. There, Should have been more because go. of how boring it was. But two. and then Lewis asked, "Whose bullpen is going to suck more this week in the Giants Angels four game series?" That is a great question because both teams are really bad. <laughs> yeah, both teams are. Some of the Angels bad. are kind of still in the the playoff race, also. Well, because the, the, AL West the Angels sucks. have. I mean, I haven't been watching, so this is all kind of just general knowledge but I, I was watching a bit angels at least have some talent to fall back on the giants just suck really bad i mean it's <laughs> it's pretty hilarious so as we them. speak oh as we speak the angels sorry are four and a half games out of a playoff spot so it's not that as close as i thought it was yeah, at one point yeah bad bad fan bad fan yeah fell but off. you have like seven sports to follow so it's hard to be fully uh up to date on each one they're quieting down now. It might be seven. It might actually be seven. I don't. I don't know. So are you re- are you ready? Or was there another question? No, that's it. So it, this is one of let, the absolute. <laughs> wait, <laughs> why? Why do I? Why? Why am I getting put on trial by you? It's not a trial. <laughs> I'm just reading this out loud because of how bad it was. So, well, okay. This is why you get. This is why you're getting. First off, you got ratioed 
almost <laughs> two to one. Uh, I expected it. I expected it. Well, the thing is, you tagged me in it. Here's the reason why I'm so upset. You said, and this was like right in the morning. This was like the start of my day. The, so you well, said, would you like the context for it? I had just had a waffle. It doesn't matter. The context doesn't help you at all. Um, anyway, <laughs> Jake Rudolph, here is a at Felix underscore Sicard level hot take for you. Organic maple syrup is nowhere near as good as the artificial filled stuff. I, I couldn't even get through that. That was really hard to get through. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> like what? I mean, are you serious? So with I, this? I thought about it. I yeah, I thought about it after kind of. I got so much shit from people. I'm pretty sure the reason why is I grew up with like log cabin. Yeah, that stuff is is not is, maple syrup. You do realize that, right? It's yeah, it's corn syrup. It's it, it's just yeah. it's just generic syrup. It, Fair. It's that FDA approved. I'm term. not den- I'm not denying that it's probably an awful take. I've never well, said that. I find I, it. Well, look, I am Canadian. So when you come at the maple syrup, I mean, <laughs> people joke about it and have joked about it to me my whole life. But if you're going to come at the maple syrup, you better not miss. <laughs> and in that in that situation, you you missed you, you were a mile wide of the net. So I'm just saying the, that first I off, like the art, the artificial stuff tastes better to me. Calling personally. it organic maple syrup is kind of just this weird misnomer because there's only one true maple syrup. It's the maple syrup you get from the tree the kind that you get that you can only get that's imported from from canada that's the only now i'm gonna do a google search that's the only maple syrup that's out there there's this whole regulatory process that needs to be satisfied for it to be true maple syrup this is a real thing um so wait there is such thing as organic versus non-organic pure maple syrup yeah there is a difference so okay but Organic is, again, more of a regulatory term in the U.S. than, like, what I'm talking about here. There's only one maple Fair. syrup, okay? There's only one maple syrup, if we're being real about this. Just like Felix is getting very Canadian with us. I'm just saying. I'm just, like, you poke the bear. I'm going Jack Edwards on you. You poke the bear. You, you, this is your <laughs> fault. <laughs> so, anyway, the, the, the cheap shit is awful. Don't eat it. Um, Log cabin's very Get good. the real thing. I mean, look, I get it. I get why you would go that route. It's it's not the end of the world. I just find it I just find the texture so gross. It's like sticky. It's almost like honey whereas the yeah. whereas the real thing is actual syrup. It's, you know, it's it's more liquidy, it's sweeter. It has that true taste. So just an awful take by you and so, and to even I think it's just because I it it's what I grew up with and no, what no, no, I grew up with is not or pure. What the thing is is that not only did you say something so wrong but you also I tagged you in you it. Characterized the wrongness of it, but through me by basically saying, "This is so. Yeah, this is such a yeah. hot take that this is something I would say, which is totally false. Because the things I say, although they are disagreeable, <laughs> at least have some basis in reality. Some G- give, logical give merit. Me one of, give, give me so give me one or two of yours. When so I said we can, Taco we can Bell judge that. is better than Del Taco. Which is no that that's not that's not one of your that's no, not a hot I got, take that I got, I'm expecting. I got hit pretty hard for that one on Twitter during this week. That 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 is a more defendable take. It though, is I think. even as someone who does not like Del or Taco Bell and loves Del Taco. But there's been Miller Light. Your Miller Light take is one that lives in infamy. No, I just enjoy Miller Light. There's nothing. There's no comparison. I'm pretty being, sure at some point in at some point in in time. 
on this podcast that that we do here, you would have stated at some point that Miller Lite is the best beer. But even that's defensible. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. You got me there. The point is, though, awful take by you. Shame on you for for, for bringing me into that. And and that's really all I have to say. Oh, also, your take on Cinnamon Toast Crunch is pretty bad. I think it's fine not to like cinnamon toast crunch. I don't think there's And anything... I think it's fine to prefer to prefer log cabin over or over pure ma- maple syrup. That's just that's just one step too far for me. It's... I think it's one step too far to say that uh cinnamon toast crunch is bad. Well, you know I've never had it, right? You I've seen you eat it. When? I've never eaten it. <laughs> At a Ducks game when you had the cinnamon toast crunch uh rice crispy treat. I don't think that's ever actually happened. Or Someone bought it for you. I may have. I was there. I may have been somewhere. It inebriated. may have been my dad that bought it for you. Actually, I may have been inebriated. That is possible. <laughs> that may be the case. So, but you have consumed it. So, boom. Yeah, but that doesn't count. It's Got him. It's not in the traditional bowl with milk. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't categorize that as a as a true fine cinnamon toast crunch fine. experience. Look, it's okay not to like a type of cereal, but that's like. That's like me saying, and it's okay uh, to prefer. It's okay to prefer uh, like, log like cabin. Basically, what you said is like I prefer Taco Bell meat, quote unquote Taco Bell meat, to like a grass fed steak or something. It's just, it's so bad. It's it's so. And there may be there there may be people out there that believe that. <laughs> no, no one believes that. that. No one believes. I that. guarantee you, there is probably one or two people out there that would think that. <laughs> Uh, my favorite thing about these crazy food debates is that there's really little rational basis for them. The, there's no right. There's no right or wrong. Everything answer. goes out the window. All of the all of the research and you know impartial approach. Oh, your pie take. take is bad. Also, pie? you you should really be careful by saying no. that your takes are good. No, when, they, when, when 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 there are people in the chat that have heard the things you said, I will, I will get. I will defend my my past self once again. I said specifically fruit pie, so pie with warmed fruit in it. I'm just not a fan of warm fruit. Fruit yeah. should be cold. Peach pie cold is fruit. fantastic. Cold fruit. Peach, <laughs> peach peach pie, warmed peach, so good. When I look Boys at a piece of fruit, so I don't good. I don't think I'm gonna mash it up and warm it up. It's just not it's not me. But that's okay. Peach cobbler. I'm not saying pie. I prefer some oh, shitty bad. like gas station pie to a, a high level chef pie. That's not. That's what you were saying, and that is. Well, that what is I the, no. What, that what, is the wrong. No, no, no. It's like take. what I'm saying is like a Ralph's pie to like a high level one. Yeah, and, and not even high level. Not even high level. We're talking wow. like Cheesecake Factory versus like Ralph's. Now you're just now you're insulting the the maple syrup even more. <laughs> sure, fine. <laughs> we should really end. This, this has podcast. been a real fun debate. We should really. Yeah, I this. think it's time to. I think it's time to. This is be. If you like this, listen to our Patreon this episodes. Was, this become was a patron. The, this was the Patreon preview. No, it's actually not this crazy. <laughs> this was. This just kind of happened out of nowhere. But we, actually, I explained wrestling. I explained a wrestling storyline to didn't, you last week. So it didn't. Uh, this wasn't out of nowhere because, like Jack Edwards would say, and agree with me, you poked the bear. So, you deserve being out for the series, <laughs> or, or whatever it is that he said. Um, I deserve having my tongue ripped out. God, that right. that is that is the Jack Edwards equivalent. God, all right. There's been a I lot. Po- of I poke the bear with my bad takes, and my tongue needs to Maybe get ripped I out of my put, mouth. I should have put that tweet as my zero of the week. That should have been my zero of the week. But 
Yeah, that. Yeah, you, I don't you, know. You why, managed yeah. to be not as bad as Jack Edwards, so congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, Riley. I thought. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the funny thing is, I've actually, I've actually done a podcast with Jack Edwards on it a long time ago, and he was really nice. So, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be so mean, but that was just an awful take. So, it is what it is. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you're still if you are still listening, uh, I, I applaud you. Uh, definitely went a little off the rails there. But if you are enjoying the show, number of ways to support us. We already talked about it quite a bit, but just to kind of solidify it, patreon.com slash crash the pond. So for a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons only discord chat where, you know, when games are going on uh, during the duck season, we have a, a, a live game chat. And also just when hockey things are happening, trades come down, we we get in there to kind of just talk about it, react to it. Um, that's for a dollar a month. So for $5 a month, you get the same access to that chat, but you also get two bonus episodes a month. So on those episodes, we go very in-depth into patron-submitted uh, questions. So big kind of big-picture topics surrounding the Ducks. Um, we've done past rankings of Ducks coaches, players, the Mount Rushmore, the bracket. We've, we've done it all, and... Um, we're going to continue to do that. We also get into league-wide topics, and there is a good bit of fun, a good bit of banter. We've done trivia games on there, so that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also support us by subscribing on Twitch, so that's twitch.tv slash crash the pond. So when we do these podcasts, we are going live on Twitch. If you do have a Amazon Prime subscription, you can subscribe to our Twitch stream at no financial cost to you. And on top of that, you so by subscribing to us, you get additional emotes or I guess subscriber only emotes. Is that how that works in the chat? You get priority in our yeah. chat if you're asking a question. So there's a bunch of perks for being a subscriber. And that's at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. We're also on YouTube. You can find our podcast on Spotify. One really y- easy. YouTube.com. Wait. Yep youtube.com slash crash the pond yeah we actually have the url so very easy for you to find us yeah it's everything is slash crash the pond basically um and then of course we are an apple podcasts uh if you are listening you know to the show through that make sure to subscribe and also if you've been enjoying the show leave a review it really goes a long way it helps us climb those charts it helps us get noticed more gets us more listeners but at the at the root of all of it outside of all of that we just like hearing from you guys we like to hear what the feedback is how the show is going it helps us improve the show it helps us maybe dial in on things that people are enjoying maybe get get away from things that people are not enjoying as much so it's important to get that feedback it just takes a couple minutes on apple Podcasts. highly recommend it you can also find us on social media so jake is on twitter at reindeer games 91 follow him i'm on twitter at felix underscore sicard find us at crash the pond Dot com. That's the blog every Friday. We've got a This Week in the Bubble, in the NHL bubble, where we just go over some different topics about the week that was in the bubble. And then, like we've been saying, every Sunday we've got the podcast. And follow the Crash the Pond page on Twitter, at Crash the Pond. So, with all that being said, thanks everybody for listening. Wishing you a fantastic week, and we will talk to you next Sunday. Bye! Bye!